Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Bible Center Church. We're glad to have you. If you call Bible Center your home, of course, we're glad to have you. Those of you who are our guests and anybody joining us online, we're glad to have you joining in as well. We love uh, what God is doing here. We'd love to be a help on your spiritual journey. Please take your Bible or your Bible app with me and turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. We're still in our First Timothy series. Uh, but many believe that Jesus or that the Apostle Paul had Matthew 25, the words of Jesus in mind as he penned uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and 6. Of course, we can't know that for sure, but you're going to see the similarities, and so it's helpful uh, to begin there. While we're, before we jump into that, I want to tell you a story that appeared in the Washington Post in April 2007. It actually won the Washington Post a Pulitzer Prize. And it happened several months prior. It was January 2007, cold, wintry morning. Uh, a violinist played in a metro station in Washington, D.C. He only played for 45 minutes. He played six uh, pieces from Bach. And there was 1,097 people who walked by during the course of the 45 minutes. As he began to play without any announcement, without any fanfare, after several minutes, a gentleman walked up, stopped for a few moments, nodded his head politely, and then he went on about his day. A few minutes later, there was a lady who dropped the first coins into the hat, and then she too went about her day. At about the seven or eight minute mark, a young man leaned up against the wall and listened for a couple of minutes, but then he quickly looked at his watch and realized it was time to get to work. And then at about the 10-minute mark, there was a little boy, probably three years of age. The little boy wanted to stop. He wanted to take it all in. But his mom, of course, tugged him along, probably had to get to daycare. She probably had to get to work. So again, over the course of 45 minutes, over 1,000 people walked by, but nobody really stopped to appreciate all that he was and all that he was doing. 27 people gave money, a total of $32.17, but that was pretty much the takeaway of the morning. Now, we don't want to be too hard on the people who walk by because we, at least I know, I probably would have done the same thing. We have to get to work. Our kids have to get to school. We have to provide for our families. Or what are the routine God has for your, your life and your week? Um, I believe in smart charity. One of the things I appreciate about the Union Mission is they emphasize smart charity, where we're able to bless as many people as possible through our giving. And so I probably would have walked right on past as well. But the gentleman playing the violin was no ordinary violinist. He was a world-famous Joshua Bell. And the violin that he played that day at the Metro was valued at $3.5 million dollars. He was playing the exact same six numbers that he'd played in Boston two nights prior when he had a sold-out crowd, of course, made a lot of money. And the Washington Post used this as a social experiment to see the value of environment when it, has, when it comes to respecting the people that we respect. When I read the story this week, it reminded me of a story Jesus told in Matthew 25. Jesus told the story about two groups, one on the left and one on the right. We'll use your left and we'll use your right. The first group Jesus talks about is a group that had faith, that had faith in him. They put their faith in Jesus. The second group was a group that would not and will not put their faith in Jesus. You know that the first group had put their faith in Jesus because their works showed it. They loved people. They respected people. They took care of people who were in need. 
But the second group, no matter what their confession was, no matter how often they went to church, the second group obviously didn't have genuine saving faith because they didn't respect people. They didn't love people. They didn't care for people. And so in the next few minutes, I want us to read together about the two groups and ask yourself, which group am I in? Which group am I in? Will you stand with me as I read from Matthew 25? I'm going to start in verse 34. I read from the NIV. Feel free to follow along in your Bible, your app, or on the screens. Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did, we're talking about this group on your right, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, this group, you did for me. That's amazing. Now let's look at the second group, and starting in verse 41. Matthew 25, 41. Then will he say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I believe this morning's message could be the most important message you hear in your life. I'm not saying that this morning's message is the best message you're going to hear in your life, or is it the most eloquent, or is it the most creative, but I'm talking about the content. I believe the content of what we're going to talk about this morning is the most important content that you'll think about over the course of your life. My job this morning in the next few minutes is to try to, with the help of the Spirit of God, relying completely on His work to open hearts. My goal this morning is that everybody would leave in this group, the first group, and that nobody, that you would not leave this morning in the second group. Pastors have long job descriptions, just like I'm sure you have a job description at your job. But if you were to summarize a pastor's job description, it really could be boiled down to this. My calling and the calling of our pastors is that you might have a good day on judgment day. It's to help you to have a good day on judgment day. Now the challenge with that, it's like one beggar helping another beggar find bread. We're all on the journey together. But today I want to help you have a good day on judgment day. 
And so in the next few minutes, I'm going to give you three principles that I believe will help you finish your life in this category and not in this category. All the notes are in your bulletin. I invite you to follow along with an open heart to study this on your own. Number one, blowing out someone else's candle won't make mine shine brighter. Blowing out someone else's candle won't make mine shine brighter. Over the last nine weeks, we've looked at the context of 1 Timothy. He was, he was a pastor in the church at Ephesus. The Apostle Paul writes back to Timothy, and he had heard that there were some troublemakers in the church, uh, some people who were really being disrespectful to the teachings of Jesus, and they were disrespecting the ways of Jesus by the way they lived. They almost were, were teaching, and they were definitely trying to set the example that the more spiritual you were, the more you pushed others down. And so the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and he says, remind them that that's not the spirituality of Jesus. And so he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the end of verse 2, 1 Timothy 6, 2, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. Verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth. Now, if you've read the Bible some, or if you've been in church for a while, or even if you've heard stories about Jesus, you know that's the opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus met somebody who was down, Jesus did everything he could to add value to their life. You think about the women in Jesus' society. They were beat down. Women were considered inferior in many respects. But when Jesus met a woman, Jesus honored women. It was women who saw Jesus first resurrected from the dead. It was women who visited the empty tomb first. We talked about that back in February and March, the value Jesus placed on women. He did this with children, with the sick, with poor, with refugees, with widows, with social outcasts of his day, with sexual outcasts of his day, with convicted felons, with the elderly. When Jesus met somebody, you can just picture as he, he just oozed value, the respect of God, his Father, was demonstrated by the respect with which he treated them. But we see in these verses, in verses 3 through 5, these people were not like Jesus. The descriptions in these verses tell us they were conceited, which means narcissistic, very self-serving. They had an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels. The word quarrels in the Greek literally means word battles. They loved to battle with words like machine guns. They would try to do circles around people with their words. They loved being smart but they caused all kinds of division. They had word battles that resulted in envy and strife and malicious talk. You know what happens in those situations. It's verbal abuse. Ultimately, somebody loses their filter. And then he says evil suspicions, which are false conspiracies. These were people who always thought there was a demon hiding behind every corner. They always thought the worst instead of thinking the best, which caused constant friction. 
Now, let me invite you to think about whoever comes to your mind, whoever came to your mind when I read that list. Get that person's face in your mind right now. Who did you think of when I read that list about these kinds of people? Whoever you have in your mind right now, get them out of your mind. Let me invite you to just get them out of your mind and instead put your face and your heart in your mind. Because, you know, really, I believe most of us have at least a little bit of this, if not a lot of this, in our hearts if we really stop long enough to think about it. So ask yourself these questions, just like I've asked myself these questions. Do I exhibit any narcissistic tendencies? With whom do I continually argue? Of whom am I envious or jealous? About whom do I gossip? Am I an overly suspicious person? If I have constant friction at work, at home, and at church, is my attitude the common denominator? I was thinking this week of my second grade teacher, Mrs. Linda Taylor. I grew up in St. Albans, attended Lakewood Elementary, and I loved Mrs. Taylor. I remember one occasion I was making fun of one of my classmates named Sean, and uh, I was making fun of him to get the laugh and get the row out of the class. And I remember after it was all done and everybody was doing their work, Mrs. Taylor looks at me and points and does this to her desk. Now, there's all the places in the world you wanted to be. It was not by Mrs. Taylor's desk. And I'll never forget it. Seven or eight years old, 30 years ago, Mrs. Taylor looks at me and she says this, and I haven't forgot it. Matt, blowing out someone else's candle won't make yours shine brighter. And 30 years later, it's showing up in a sermon because I believe that's the heart of what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. Just because you can put others down and hurt others with your words and be mean and unkind to others doesn't make you any more spiritual. It actually has the opposite effect. So God invites us into a better place of respect. Number two, second principle we see in this passage. Thankfully, Jesus took the punishment for my disrespect and offers me eternal respect. Thankfully, Jesus took the punishment for my disrespect and offers me eternal respect. Now, where do we see that? We remember that the book of 1 Timothy was a letter. There were no chapter and verse divisions in the original, so it's not like Paul wrote verse 5, verse 6. It was all just one letter. So early in Paul's letter, he had already laid the foundation that everything he was about to say was based on the good news of the gospel. So if you flip back with me to chapter 1, starting in verse 12, we see this idea of respect and honor woven into the gospel. 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul writes, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to this service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. It's like Paul saying, listen to this. If you've heard nothing else, listen to this. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Boy, that is refreshing to hear Paul say that. He believed it. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... 
Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Here's the verse. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. We're going to see it again in a moment, but this idea of honor and glory and respect is sown, is woven all throughout the book of 1 Timothy. And what Paul does here in chapter 1 is he roots it in the very character of God. In other words, God is full of infinite respect, infinite honor, infinite glory. Jesus is worthy of infinite respect, infinite honor, and infinite glory. God created. If you go to the very beginning of the gospel story, God did not create us because he was lonely. I used to think that as a kid. Well, God made us because he was lonely. There's no Bible verse that says that anywhere. God created us to reflect his glory. Just like the moon reflects the glory of the sunshine. The universe was created. You were created to reflect the glory of the creator. God created for his honor, for his glory. But when Adam and Eve chose to sin... And the crown rolled off their head into the briar bushes. Dishonor, disrespect, brokenness, and sin became the the calling card of the world. How do we know the world is broken? Well, you can watch the news, but you can also look in your own heart. You know, I know the world is broken because of the things we wanted to do this week if we only could have got away with it. If we only could have got away with it. You see, the desires of of sin in our hearts come in us, not because we just choose to sin, but because we were born sinners. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So because of our sinfulness, dishonor and disrespect comes all too easy for all of us. But that's why Jesus came to save us. Did Jesus come to save you, to take you to heaven? Certainly so. Jesus loves the world. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But it's so much more than that. As you read the New Testament, the reason Jesus Christ came to save the world was to restore the glory and restore the honor and restore the the eternal respect that was due to his father. You see this over and over again in the New Testament. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice. He rose from the grave, which shows us that his father accepted his sacrifice. And I love what Romans chapter 8 tells us about the glory, the honor that he wants to give you and me. Romans chapter 8 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those who predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Is God changing you and me now? Yes. He's helping us live more honorable lives. Jesus is transforming us. But one day, God is going to make all things new. And the glory of heaven isn't just the fact that we get to go to heaven. But the glory of heaven is that God has honored us and glorified us, not because of us, but because of Jesus. And for eternity, we get to reflect that glory back to him in an infinite number of ways. 
That is the gospel story as it relates to honor. If you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never chosen to follow Jesus, let me beg you to make today the day that you follow Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, sometimes it was reflected as a prayer. Some people just call on the name of the Lord in their own words and were saved. One man simply said this, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He couldn't think of anything else creative to say, but that did the job. And this morning, if you've never put your faith in Jesus and you want to talk to somebody about that, we have a prayer room that opens up back here in these double doors after every service. And we'd love to take a Bible and help you know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. There's one more principle we need to see. And that's in chapters 5 and 6. Number 3, God respects all people. Therefore, I can respect all people. God respects all people. Therefore, I can respect all people. If you've been in church for a long time, maybe you're thinking, I, I thought this after the outline was already printed. It was already in the bulletin. I already knew this was point number three. I began to go back through it in my mind and think about what about that verse that says, God is no respecter of persons. Right? How do we reconcile that with this? Well, in context, it's talking about two completely different things. God is no respecter of persons from the point that God doesn't play, uh, he doesn't play favorites. Uh, when God's, God's justice is dictated by his perfection. In other words, God doesn't like this person more than this person uh, just because this person comes from a popular family. That's, that's not why he does that. He doesn't operate that way. God is just. God is holy. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't like people. Does God like people? Let's look at what Paul told Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is good and pleases God our Savior, 1 Timothy 2, 3, who wants all people to be saved and to come into a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. 1 Timothy 4.10, we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. 1 Peter 2.17, show proper respect for everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. In that one verse, go back to that one verse if you don't mind. In that one verse, he starts the verse by saying, everyone. Be respectful to everyone. If you want to break it down into some categories underneath everyone, you're in everyone. We're part of the church, body of believers. But the emperor was in everyone. This emperor was a godless pagan. Emperor was, emperor was a violent man. You didn't naturally like the emperor, right? But Paul still says, show the emperor the respect of his office. Be a respectful Christian. This flows from the very heart of God, of who God is. As you look at John 16, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Jesus is is given his uh, last words, which develops into this last prayer, 
And in John 16, Jesus tells his disciples something phenomenal. He says, in eternity past, the Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Spirit, the Spirit loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father. In eternity past, there's this mutual respect. Now, it'll blow your mind like it blows mine, but think about this. God had no beginning, and he never learned to show respect. He never had to learn to show love. God is love. And so from eternity past, you have this just this aura of, of respect and honor and love for one another. I, I experienced it last night in the most unique way. We were at the, uh, use, the uh, GW soccer game. The, the girls uh, made it to states, which was awesome for them. The boys ended up winning the state championship. Uh, all of West Virginia, George Washington, right here in our own uh, city. Probably should stop and like clap for that. Big deal. Big deal. It's two killer games. I don't think they were expected uh, to win. They played their hearts out. Man, it was really, really good game. So we're out outside the locker room after the game. We're talking with some friends, and the guys come out of the locker room, and they're high-fiving, and they're hugging, and some are crying, and they're laughing, and even the people who, who didn't play very much, the people who rode the pine, you know, all year, they were getting treated like they, too, were the heroes. They were clapping and fist-bumping, and and one of the, the players, he'd lost his father this year, and people, dads and moms, were hugging him and encouraging him. And I'm sitting there, I'm going to be moved in, in, inwardly watching this because I thought, this is a small picture. This is a small picture of what it would have been like to be the father, the son, and the spirit for eternity. You're stepping into this place of honor and love and respect and celebration. And what God does here is he invites all of us into this. The gospel is an invitation into this. And we are to be a people who express this in the church. We build one another up. We encourage one another. And then even out in our world, in our jobs, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, we can respect others because God has eternal respect, and given us that in the gospel of his son. Quickly, you're going to see a group of people we can respect. He lists six categories of people in the next chapter or so. I encourage you to read about these six categories. One of them is the elderly. I can respect all people, including those who are elderly. I can respect all people, including those who are young. He mentions the young. Let no man despise thy youth. We see it again in chapter 5. Number 3. I can respect all people, including those who are widowed. From verses 3, verse 3 through 16, he, he gives these parameters for how we're to care for widows in our church. One of the ministries I'm most excited about right now at Bible Center is our, our ministry that our deacons and their wives are, are, are having with our widows, coming alongside for those and trying to love and bless and help I love it. I can respect all people, including those who are in charge at church. There's a whole half a chapter on that. We covered it a few weeks ago. There was a problem there in Timothy's church. Uh, we see fourthly, or fifthly, I can respect all people, including those who are in charge at work. He tells them to respect your bosses, respect your managers, respect people who are in authority where you work. And then lastly, I can respect all people, 
including those who are vulnerable. He says in chapter 6 and verse 2, believing masters are to be devoted to the welfare of their slaves. This idea of masters and slaves has nothing to do with what we ex- the atrocity we experienced in our country over a century ago. But it was indentured servanthood. People would give themselves for a period of time, just like you might sign a contract with a job. It would lock them in for a season to pay off their debts. And essentially, he is saying, whoever is in charge where you work, honor them, respect them. You say, they don't deserve it. None of us do. Honor and respect them. And then if we are in charge, we're to respect and honor and take care of the people who work with us. One of the ways that I saw this eternal respect played out at Bible Center was two weeks ago. We had our medical clinic here, and uh, it was down at Bible Center School. Uh, Ram USA partnered with West Virginia Health Right. They used our school. Many of you volunteered. There were 600 volunteers that served over 775 patients through dental, vision, and medical services totaling $288,231 of free medical service over the course of two days. It was phenomenal. You see some of our dentists. Hold it here for just a minute. These three guys, Steve on the left is our director of maintenance here. He put in like a 48-hour shift. Same with Denzel and Bradley. These guys were out there. They're not just doing a job. They're loving people. And they want us next year as a church to try to feed all the people that I'm about to show you. And I think we can do it. But notice this next picture. This was just after midnight. The clinic opened at 6 a.m. on a Saturday. People started lining up outside to get their tickets at midnight for this medical clinic. This picture moves me. And I want you to hear a couple stories before we're done this morning. And we're going to give an award to a very special lady Uh, But I've asked uh, Dr. Tom Takubo and Dr. Chris Stansberry to join me on the platform. They're going to tell a couple stories. They were involved in bringing the medical clinic here. And will you join me in just thanking these men for their service and for what they've done for us? Guys, thanks for uh, bringing the medical clinic to Charleston. Can you tell me a little bit about how it got here? How did we, how did we get it in Charleston? Tom, you want to start? Sure. This, uh, this all kind of sprang up uh, when we had the floods back in 2016. And, um, and my family, we were on vacation. And we were kind of keeping uh, abreast of the situation on Facebook, social media, things. And um, a few days into it, I got a call from Director Angie Settle with West Virginia Health Right. And she said, uh, you know, we got a problem, we need some help. And I said, what do you mean? And so I, like probably most of you, assume that um, when a disaster like that happens, uh, the Red Cross and the National Guard and, and Homeland Security, everybody's in there taking care of everything, and they do, getting you out of immediate harm. But one of the things that, that we didn't realize is that um, when these uh, folks' homes were filling up, they didn't have time or even thoughts to get their glasses and their hearing aids and their dentures and their medicines. They were getting their loved ones and some valuables and just, just trying to get out of there. And so um, we had a situation where uh, people were, had gotten out of uh, immediate harm, but uh, we found kids with um, uh, insulin pumps that hadn't had their medicine in 10 days had um, uh, 
people with renal transplants that didn't have their immunosuppressant medications, and so uh, that part isn't taken care of. So Angie got in touch with RAM. I got in on that conference call. We started making some calls, and very quickly, everybody kind of stepped up to the game. The um, CMC, WVU, uh, Kanawha County MS, Logan County MS, pharmacy schools, uh, PA schools, uh, and we got immediate uh, tents set up to start reconciling people's medicines. Uh, CMC is very gracious. They gave everybody 30 days supply to get everybody up and running when they're trying to get their lives back in order. And, um, but out of that sprang uh, communications with RAM and they said, hey, listen, there's, there's uh, more need than that. You know, these people lost their glasses, hearing aids, uh, all this uh, sort of thing. So they were gracious enough to camp, come in a couple months later. We got the first uh, clinic set up uh, in that area where it was hardest hit. But then uh, we realized, gosh, there's, there's a ton of need for this ongoing all the time. And so we've continued to do that clinic. We moved it to Charleston because it's a little bit more central than up in the Elkview area so that Southern West Virginia and other parts of the state could get to us a little easier. And Bible Center was gracious enough to be the host for that. And uh, that's, that's how we came to be. That's great, man. So this was our second year in Charleston, but third overall. Third overall. Third overall. Chris, you had a big part in this as well. Can I tell us from your perspective how this came to be? Sure. You know, uh, anytime there's a disaster in West Virginia, you, you've seen West Virginians pull together to help their neighbors. And uh, there was a great outpouring of support after the 2016 floods. And uh, but unfortunately, as Tom mentioned, there were a lot of people that had just kind of uh, lost everything they had and didn't have any ability to get it back. You know, couldn't afford to go out and get an eye exam and get glasses. And so we were working with the Red Cross at the time uh, using a voucher system where people could come in and get a free exam at our office and, and get up some glasses. But we saw the need was much greater than that. Tom sent me a text and said he'd been in communication with Angie and uh, with the RAM folks. And they said they could come in and set up a big clinic. And uh, they'd bring a truck on site to make 400 pairs of glasses a day. And I said, that's something I can get down with. And immediately uh, started work with them trying to get that coordinated. And it was incredible. And, you know, the, again, the, the compassion was there and everybody was, was really trying to help the victims of the flood. But what we found is that we had a lot of people coming in from out of the area. It wasn't just the flood-stricken areas. It was all over West Virginia, even as far away as Ohio. And uh, so we saw there was a great need to continue to do this clinic. And as Tom mentioned, move it to, to Charleston, where it's a little more centralized and easy to get to. And uh, these folks that are coming in, I mean, it just breaks your heart. You know, they are, they are working people or they are retired folks who just don't have that income stream you know, to be able to take care of themselves and their families. Uh, maybe they make too much money for Medicaid, but they don't make enough for insurance. And so it's just been such a blessing on us and everybody who, who's participated in the program uh, to see these folks coming in and be able to help them in this way. Wow. You guys have both shared a number of stories with me. Could you, could you guys share a couple of stories from this past clinic of things that touched you personally? There's uh, um, things as simple as uh, there was one lady that uh, had had a... Uh, self-impacted uh, plug in her ear that we cleared that out and she was just so tickled to be able to hear again that you know things that simple to uh, uh, people serious uh, heart conditions we found took care of uh, there was one little gentleman that had um, a very serious bowel condition called ulcerative colitis that had been hemorrhaging for over a year and just he, he worked several jobs but again worked uh, was kind of the working poor he, he makes too much to be on medicaid not enough to have any benefits and so we got all those people taken care of uh, even to, uh, there was one uh, lady I remember, she was uh, eight months pregnant and had sat in line since midnight just to get a pair of glasses so mm -hmm. that she could be able to see. But there are so, so many stories, and any volunteers would be able to share lots of those. Wow. Impressive. 
Yeah, I mean, lots of very impactful stories. Uh, we had a gentleman who walked over an hour to get to the clinic. I mean, you know, he got up at three, got ready, left his house at four, and walked to the clinic and got there at five because he needed new glasses. People that hadn't had new glasses in 10 or 15, 20 years because they'd been taking care of their, their kids and uh, they had put them ahead of themselves and just hadn't had the money to go out and buy new glasses. Uh, the most impactful, though, I think, was a gentleman that came in complaining about vision loss in his left eye. We got him dilated up and found that he had a very aggressive uh, kind of cancer in his eye. And uh, so we got him referred out immediately, and he's undergoing treatment now. And uh, we may not be able to save the eye, but we're hoping to save his life. And so it's just you think about vision care, and it's all about glasses and contacts, but sometimes you get, get somebody in there that's got very serious medical issues, and we can uncover those during the course of the examination. Such a blessing to be able to help somebody like that. Man. So, I mean, literally may have saved his life. Wow. There were 600 volunteers uh, from all over the country. I met somebody from New York. I met somebody from Florida. But some of you volunteered. If you were on staff and you helped in some way or if you volunteered in some way, if you're a medical provider and you volunteered in some way, would you stand for just a moment? We'd like to honor you and thank you. Let's thank these folks. What can we do next year? How can we help more uh, next year as a church? Well, I think you've got a, a real captive audience. I mean, you've got people that are there from the wee hours of the morning um, who are just, you know, they're desperate for help and they are looking for not just medical help, but also just uh, maybe companionship or maybe they're looking for other methods, you know, other, other kinds of support. And I think just as a church, just being there, I mean, it's, it's not a Christian event, so to speak, but you can you can love on these people and show your love through Christ on these people uh, by being there to feed them or provide them coffee while they wait in line or just to talk to somebody or to hand out you know goods or participate in one of the clinics and so it'd be great to see more of uh, our Bible Center family members coming out and and uh, supporting these folks uh, a lot of desperation out there in West Virginia as you know we're we're a poor state and uh, it's great to be able to give back in, in a community like ours and it can be very impactful for the church to, to be there and participate. And it could be somebody that comes in for glasses, and next thing you know, they're sitting beside you in the congregation on Sundays. So we'd love to have you out there next year. That's great. We're going to get definitely more, uh, more press next year to, to encourage folks. And the only other thing I was going to add to that is uh, everybody uh, feels that they say, well, I'm not medically trained. But gosh, there's uh, so, so many. And a and, uh, couple of folks that uh, uh, wouldn't care me mention that patients of mine, one's a retired police officer, they have no medical training. but uh, they're always in that truck making glasses every year. Uh, the wife is the first one to check me in volunteer-wise when I come in. Uh, there is so much ancillary support. The, um, uh, some of the optical units for eye services, uh, they'll train you within five, ten minutes to kind of use those computers to kind of help you streamline to, to uh, save more time for these guys. And so, and there's so many more other things, vaccinations and, and things with drug addiction, so many other things going on in the clinic other than just the medical, dental, and optical. But um, please get involved, or it may just be uh, getting your neighbor, if you know somebody that's nearby that needs these services but they don't have transportation or somebody get you there, you know, maybe, maybe you can get them there next year. That's great. There's a special lady with us this morning that we're going to honor in a second, uh, Angie Settle, Director of West Virginia Health Right. Uh, when you guys think of Angie, what comes to your mind? Uh, she's got one of the biggest hearts I know. I mean, she's just, uh, she is so filled with compassion for her fellow West Virginians. And she reflects that in her, her work every day. I mean, she has, as the CEO of West Virginia Health Right, she impacts so many lives here in West Virginia. And again, it's the people that can't afford health care, those that don't have insurance. Um, she is able to reach those folks, and they come from all over. 
and she is uh, just has such compassion for those uh, folks. She works tirelessly. I mean, I don't know how she raises six kids. <laughs> She's a mom of six, a great wife, and uh, and still finds time to be uh, the CEO of a, a, a huge charitable clinic and put on events like this. So it's an honor to know her and call her friend. She makes my head spin. Uh, one of the things that I like to brag on Angie about is um, when, when we had the first health clinic and she saw there were just so many wonderful stories. I mean, people that had been losing weight just because they couldn't eat because their, their dental care was so bad and they were just excited to be able to eat, to get, eat again. And when she saw that, she, she came up, and this was a, a big ordeal to get this first clinic up and going. She says, you know, we need to do this all the time, not just once a year. And she goes, I'm going to get a dental truck. She tells me this, and I'm like, okay, well, that sounds great, but, you know, that's a big endeavor. I think it was eight months or something, it's here. And, and so this was after the first year in 2016. And so she goes, all, and, her, and her group goes all over southern West Virginia, I think seven, eight counties, and is providing free dental care. Uh, five, four or five days a week, uh, folks at Marshall come down and help her out. Uh, it's just amazing, and it's, it's a tireless effort on her. And anytime she calls, I think she's probably going to tell you 120, 130 uh, physician medical professionals that, that help volunteer when she calls. We just do it because we know when she calls, there's a reason behind that. That's great. I'm going to ask Angie and Michelle to join us here at the front. Michelle, will you tell us what you've put together for her and what we want to give her as a church? Yes, God tells us in Jeremiah 29.7, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray to the Lord for it. And we want to present this award to Angie Settle today. Um, she works, as they said, with HealthRight in Charleston for making a difference by going above and beyond to serve those who are hurting and often forgotten. And thank you so very much for all of the effort that you give for the people of Charleston. I just want to thank everybody for um, just recognizing this effort. Um, first, I want to say um, thank you to, to you guys for sharing the facility, letting us come in and take over. That's a huge uh, effort, and um, thanks for trusting us that. Um, I feel like I should be giving these guys an award because, I mean, they went along with it and been on board. They're so busy. Um, I respect Dr. Sansbury and uh, Senator DeCubo, Dr. DeCubo, so much. Um, I have the opportunity in my career to get to know people, uh, good, bad, and ugly, and really get to know, you know, how people are and if they really care. And I can't tell you two better people that care more about our state and what we do and um, the impoverished people than they are. So I can't thank them enough. And this guy right here, I'm laughing, talking about my schedule, because his schedule, like I said, makes me want, like, 12 Red Bulls, but anyway, um, I just want to thank you guys, and like I said, anybody wants to come out next year, we'd love to. We, we need more dentists, so if you are a dentist, go to a dentist. It'd be great to have them, and again, like I said, um, this is, to me, it's just a mission work. This is God's work. Um, it's right here in our backyard. There are people in need here, and it's great if you want to go overseas, but this is what God's put in my heart um, to serve our people here, so I just want to thank you guys. Let's give it up one more time. You got a handout on your chair when you came in. I want to draw your attention to that handout before we pray. The handout is Bless Your Neighbor November. And so it was a whole year away uh, before we jumped back into the medical clinic. We thought about, let's go ahead and do sign-ups for next year. And my staff talked me out of that. And they said, it's a year away. Probably not a good thing. 
Uh, but what we've decided to do this month is provide some suggestions. You might have other suggestions, but let's go out and let's show the respect of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in very, very, very practical ways to one another in the church and outside the church. At the end of all of our services, we try to do three things now. We give you time to pray, we give you a minute to give, and we give you a minute to sing. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask our ushers to join me here at the front. And in a moment, as they uh, pass the offering, let me invite you to use this minute before we close to just pray and ask God, what on this list might you have me to do? Take a minute to pray. Uh, But as the ushers come, let me also encourage you to take a minute to give. You can take a minute to give. Uh, It's because of your giving we're able to do medical clinics, have the facility, uh, have everything in place to do what you just heard. Every dollar that you give goes to ministries that impact people uh, just like this. You all are giving this year like crazy. It's the highest giving year since I've been here, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, over the course of the six months of the All In Challenge, you have already given uh, just under $2 million, or $2 million has gone to pay down the debt uh, of our principal debt on our property. We're so thankful for that. Uh, but we have a long way to go. But we, I'm going to ask you to consider what the Lord would have you give to the general fund. Our general fund is a little bit behind right now. And that general fund is how we do day-to-day ministries. It's how we do Sundays. And so as the offering baskets are passed, let me encourage you to give. I prefer to give on the app. Uh, on my phone, you may give on the app. You may give online. There's six or seven different ways uh, to give. But as we give and as we sing... Let's do it as an act of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's given so much to us. Let me pray. Father, as we take this offering, and Father, today as we give, I pray that you would use us to bless the greater Canal Valley in November like we never have before. And Lord, I ask that you would help us in very practical ways. Lead us, pave the way in front of us to really show your honor and respect to people already in our lives. Bless this offering. Use it that the gospel may reach more men and women for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.